0: This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leads Art Week.
1: We may not realize it, but we search for everything. From everything we ask Siri to each time we look up the quickest route home, it's all considered a search. This has been going on for years now but it's not occurring the same way as it did in the past. SEO is now more in the picture than ever, and it's a powerful field. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Moz CMO and Head of Sales, Christina Motz, discusses everything SEO and why an investment in SEO is an investment in the future. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing.
0: Here is your host, Ian Faison.
2: Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we are joined by a special guest. Christina, what's going on?
3: Oh, I'm just excited to be here and ready to talk to you about marketing.
2: Well, we're excited to have you. Uh, and this will be a fun episode. Uh, you know, we're, we're fans of Moz uh, and have been for a long time. SEO is always important, but it feels like now more than ever uh, is definitely at the top of mind for a lot of marketers as budgets are shifting and things are changing and figuring out how to how to maximize spend here. So we're going to talk about that. Plus, obviously, your background. Let's get into it. How did you get started in marketing in the first place?
3: Oh, goodness. Uh, marketing for me was not a direct path. Like many people, I had a winding journey and was a writer before I was a marketer. But I was very fortunate in that early in my my day job career, I worked for a consulting firm, marketing and business management consulting, and just doing some really uh, you know, entry-level research type work. And the CEO there was, or is, a wonderful person, still a friend and mentor to me today. He took me under his wing and just you know, like, put me through the wringer, but also taught me in an incredible amount about marketing in two years. And after that, I just, I loved it. And I found there was so much, not only do you have to be a great communicator, I think, to be a great marketer, but there were so many similarities that the desire to connect with people um, emotionally and to tell stories. And so it was a career that made sense to me. And it went off from there.
2: Flash forward to today, what does it mean to be CMO and head of sales at Moz?
3: So, you know, functionally, it means that I lead both the marketing and the sales function it's interesting that you don't see it more. I think in our industry, in the tech industry, because at it, Moz, it simply means that my teams, the marketing and sales team, together, um, they they can work together on more fluid customer journeys that start literally at the first touch and go literally all the way through conversion and, and through to brand loyalty, regardless of whether that customer journey takes place online and converts online through our self-service portal, or converts through a direct sales channel. I think in technology, you often have those customer journeys that are should be so similar in many ways, and yet you have those two teams under two different functional leaders. So I, I would hope that you see marketing and sales come together more.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we see it on our show, uh, you know, talking to a lot of our guests that it is obviously ever-evolving, but for certain types of companies, I mean, marketing is closer to the sale than, than sales is. <laughs> so it only makes sense that that chief revenue officer role becomes a marketer.
3: Yes. Yeah, definitely. And I think it also helps that marketing is so much more measurable now. So when we're talking about being closer and closer to revenue, it makes sense for marketing to not just take on the responsibility of revenue, but also to take on the burden of a revenue goal. And I think so many marketers for so many years have been fearful of that goal for the very good reason that they couldn't directly measure the attribution of marketing. And with many channels, we can now. And so there is no reason to fear that goal. If anything, we should hold ourselves accountable. I would even say when you cannot directly measure your attribution, you should still strive to be responsible for revenue because ultimately that is... Marketing and sales have to work so closely that if you are not accepting a revenue goal, I just think that you're, you're not achieving all that you could be.
2: I would imagine that the vast majority of our audience has heard of Moz. But for those of them who haven't, can you give a little bit of info about the company?
3: Yeah, certainly. So Moz has been around a long time. Uh, founded back in 2004, we are the most trusted authority in online search, uh, search engine optimization. We started literally as a blog. And so we started with content to help marketers better understand how to get their sites to rank you know, on the search engines without having to pay for an ad. And we've evolved into a platform. We have an SEO and local search platforms to help marketers improve both the position of their brands, their business locations, so actual physical locations uh, in the local pack, and competitive rank and search results.
2: One of the numbers, uh, I love a good number, uh, and one of the ones that is a wild, wild stat is that Moz has had over 40 Trillion links indexed by Link Explorer. That is such a massive. <laughs> no, normally, that's like the 0.7 trillion part is like a massive number just on its own. Kind of speaks to the volume of, of how much has been done using Moz. But obviously, there's a lot of work left, left to go here. What is kind of the state of, of SEO?
3: State of SEO. So there's so much that marketers can do with SEO that they, they're they not always aware of. SEO changes as often as Google updates their algorithm, which is much more often than most marketers are aware of. I would say that it's a very powerful field. It's a field that is is changing often because marketers are always looking for ways to evolve their, um, the, the ability of their content and their site to rank and to be noticed. And because the search world has changed so much. You know, Back when Moz was founded, it was you know, blue links. And now we're talking about a world of search that is always on and ever present. It surrounds you. I actually have this very t- absolutely true story from my first, I think it was my first month or two with Moz. I had watched a Whiteboard Friday, one of our a Friday posts that we, we you know, put up every Friday that are great tactical advice for marketers and SEOs. And it was about you know, evolving voice search. And I was trying to really do a lot of learning. And I asked my son, my younger son, who I think was 12, 13 at the time. I said, hey, how often do you search? Because I was trying to get a feeling for what search meant to the next generation. And he looked at me like just deer in the headlights. What are you talking about? And I'm like, you know how how often do you you know Google? And he said, "You mean like on a computer?" <laughs> you know, as the, as if this was something ancient. And I said, "On anything, on a computer, on your phone, or not, on anything." And he said, I, "I don't know. I I don't think I search." This kid goes through life searching on every device through through voice through text. He doesn't even think of it as searching. Yeah. He thinks of it as the world just responding to his needs, right? You know, tell me, tell me where how do I find this? How do I do this? What's on TV and so forth. And I think that so when you say well, you know, what's going on with search, what's going on with SEO, the power to be present where people need you. That's the future of search. It's not even about searching anymore because the next generation, it's outside of their vocabulary. It's just part of their reality.
2: Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because you know, we have the the constant, uh, you know, search versus trackers kind of a, a conversation. Uh, <laughs> you know, we do, a lot of us, our stuff G Suite. And so we kind of always have that conversation. But you see so much of not just, you know, Google search, but just like within every platform now, how important search is. Like every app, every device and and you only feel the edges as soon as you get into something that is really bad, and then you're like, "Wait a second, this is uh, this doesn't make sense at all." You know, we had Scott Holden, a CMO, of ThoughtSpot, uh, on this show a while back, talking about you know their whole product is search plus a AI search and data. You know, you should be able to search your data. Like it really is kind of permeating to every cult or every part of business, but. That doesn't always lend itself to a marketer being able to leverage that, right? A lot of that stuff is in-app and Mm -hmm. platform, but I think it does speak to what you said, which is like search is just the new normal across the board for all of us, for like those of us who are are a little older, but for younger people, it's just how the world works.
3: And I don't think people realize that search is also when you're in your car and in your navigational system, that's search. When you're Asking Siri or whatever, that's search. So those are all fed from the same pool of search data.
2: Yeah. So, how can marketers start looking at search maybe in a new way? What, is, what are the ways that, that CMOs can start to think beyond what maybe our, our concept of search is now?
3: I think one of the most critical aspects of search, and I would say now, not in the future, but, but definitely now is the need to think of it strategically. Many marketers still think of search as um, just a tactical line item. Here's our paid search budget. Here's our SEO budget. And, And it's a, you know, check it and forget it or, you know, put a little money into it, you know, once a month, once a quarter and so forth. People don't realize how much search has become a predominant strategy. And I would suggest a strategy that the CMO be at least aware of if not directing and that's because it really is your brand strategy so as much as i don't i don't think the CMO would ever say oh brand is just a tactic we think of every now and then <laughs> right we recognize that brand is so critical and so strategic and yet search is probably one of the most ever present Channels and well, mul- multiple channels, but ever present ways that the world becomes aware of your brand, becomes um, aware of your brand messages, considers your brand, and even acts on your brand. And so, the search strategy when you're doing your planning, when you're doing your annual strategy before you even get down to your tactical marketing plans, you should think about the customer journey. Holistically, from the moment that customer becomes aware of your brand, or even before that, right, when a customer becomes aware that they have a need, and then becomes aware of your brand as a potential solution within that consideration set, all the way through to a conversion, past conversion, to when the customer becomes loyal to your brand, becomes an advocate for your brand, and when you look at that journey, how many touch points in that journey could be influenced by search? And more so than your paid search strategy, because that's a, it's a little challenging to look at a paid search strategy along that whole journey, because paid search has a very specific purpose you know, at a very specific point in time. But if we look at how search engine optimization, your ability to drive organic Search can impact that customer journey and your brand awareness. Then it's like a light bulb goes on and people realize how strategic it is.
2: Yeah, well, and you have things like you know we had Ryan Benici, the CMO G two on here, and you think of just like a new a new product like that that comes on the market that now changes your entire search strategy potentially if you're a B two B business, right? It's like wow! Oh, we have this brand new thing that now is going to be extremely important. Obviously, like you know, things like LinkedIn and all that, or and Twitter and social feeds and everything, are a no brainer now. But even as new platforms and and different things come up, you have to have a plan for that. Like, I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, having it be a strategy rather than a line item, because I think that that is very much the way that people think about it and have like. The SEO gal on their team or the SEO guy on their team, you know, like mm-hmm. that's a lot of it is that way, and I think it's because of the complexity of the algorithm, of how much it changes, of like kind of the keeping up with the Joneses. But I'm curious, like, how do you like transform your team to be able to have a strategy around that rather than just kind of say, like, oh, that's that's just SEO's job; uh, they'll figure it out.
3: The how is challenging, and I would say that it's probably different in different industries, probably different in different types of companies. However, I think that if you look at how content has changed and the role of content in a marketing strategy over the last 10 years, and we think of the changes we made organizationally to accommodate content as a strategy versus it was, you know, 10 years, 15 years ago, it was just a line item. Oh yeah, do a couple, actually I'm trying to think even before blog post, do some contributing content, right? Do an article here, or do an article there. And over time it became so the realization that content had such an important part in the ability to educate and influence a potential customer that we now understand content as very strategic. And it's, it's strategic in what it says about our brand and it's strategic in its ability to influence. And so if we look at that trajectory and we say, okay, how can we then apply that to our ability to look at search strategically? I think one of the first things you do is you resource it. So like you said, SEO, it tends to be this, the, the SEO um, person who you know, sits off in the basement somewhere. <laughs> That's often how a lot of marketers still think about it.
2: Yeah, for sure.
3: And yet, yeah, it's, it, we did do a, a study that we, we just published actually last week. On the state of local SEO. And one of the things that we found is that by and large, at least local businesses are very well aware of how important search is. And one of the things that they responded with is saying how much more they are resourcing it. And so I think that's, as marketers, any type of marketer, we have to ask ourselves is it just part of one person's job? And so does it get a sort of set it and forget it mentality? Or is it just, one person's job when we really have so many opportunities that it should be maybe one person's job and another part of another person's overall, you know, if they're part of a bigger search team. And does that search team roll up to digital marketing? And is search understood as a pivotal part of digital marketing outside of just ad spec? And so that, that resourcing and the place it lives in your organizational structure, I think, is critical. And then when you think of the time. As a marketing leader, whether you are the CMO or the VP, a director, as a marketing leader, are you asking the right questions? Are you understanding that your company's position and brand strategy and growth strategy are all dependent on search and even your customer marketing strategy, your retention strategy? Because what do you think a customer is doing? when they're trying to figure out what next to do with your product. They're using search. What next to do with their pain points that maybe your product isn't solving as completely as it used to. They are doing search. They are starting a new customer journey, whether you know it or not. And if you want to participate in that customer journey versus just have them participate with your competitor, you need to be present at all of the moments of their need, of their journey. And that's strategic. So if as a marketing leader, you are not being attentive to search as part of your overall marketing strategy, you probably are leaving money on the table and are putting money at risk.
2: Yeah. I mean, talking B2B specific for a second, I totally agree. And I think that so many marketers spend a crazy amount of money to you know, to feed the beast, to, to pump into and honestly could spend a lot more. And we've talked about that on the show before that, you know, it, it is the endless pit, right? You, <laughs> you do have to you have to be strategic on what you're spending on and do all this work to get folks to certain places, to your website or whatever, and then don't actually capture the information or don't have someone talk about it in real time have the actual conversation that the person is trying to have and then, you know, put that into a human being, which is the connection to sales. Mm-hmm. And I think the local example is great because it's like, yeah, if you want, you know, pizza now or a, or an accountant now or whatever it is, you know, that business is going to understand that they know time is of the essence. And in B2B, a lot of times we kind of are a little laissez-faire with the timeliness of how we do certain things. Now you have mm-hmm. things you know, like bots and obviously uh, a lot, you know, tools like Qualified and things like that, that allow you to talk to people. But I do think it's really interesting that, you know, we're spending a lot of money to get them to this point to click and then don't capture, Uh, don't, you know, say, hey, this person is, you know, a piping hot lead. They need to talk to someone right now if they want to do that, right? Mm -hmm. Like this, this should not go into, this should not just be, you know, marketing qualified lead. And then, you know, sales is going to follow up tomorrow, right? It's like, we just spent a bunch of money and so much effort to optimize, you know, this article to do this. Like if someone's on this thing, we need to talk to them right now.
3: Right. And But so many marketers don't yet know which of those signals is the signal that says, talk to them right now. Yep. Right. You, you get into your lead scoring models, which are Oh, challenging. So challenging. <laughs> like like I, I have great empathy for all marketing leaders who just sighed big time at that. For a customer, you might see very clear signals that they download this particular white paper and that means they are in market. Your sales team needs to follow up with them right now. And then you find the conversion rate isn't great. And then you discover, oh, it's not just that one white paper. They had to have downloaded these other two after they clicked on this blog post and they opened these three emails. I mean, the reality is, is that content yep. works in conjunction with other pieces of content. And so it's, yeah, that, that, that linear buying path that used to be, I'm not even sure it was ever the reality, but we used to tell ourselves it was the reality You know, a couple of decades ago. And excuse me, I'm aging myself here, but it, you know that, that idea that a consumer would do X, Y, and Z, and then purchase. It just doesn't exist at all any longer. It is such a winding road, and it hasn't existed for a very long time. But a big reason it's such a whiny road now is that there is such great accessibility to um, a plethora of content, and that content is not all your content. So, and not just all your competitors' content, right? That content is, is reviews and crowdsourcing. It's different conversations, you know, word of mouth, but word of mouth online through social media. And there are so much there now. And so you can only control as a marketer so much. Um, hopefully your product is awesome. And that will also account for some of that, the other conversations that your customers are seeing during this very windy road journey. But for you to know when exactly to, to get sales to respond can be really tricky. So I do think, you know, as you were saying, there are different methods and different technologies now to help us. I also think it goes back to what we started with that strong partnership, at least between marketing and sales or marketing and sales under the same umbrella, where they can work so closely together that the salesperson starts understanding the marketing programs. The marketing person has a greater understanding for all the conversations a salesperson is having and what sort of objections they're getting on the first call versus the, the third call. And that will help you know, clue into better outcomes, better scoring, but ultimately, I, yeah, lead, lead scoring is one of those things I don't think there's any brilliant model for yet. I haven't ever seen a foolproof model for lead scoring.
2: Yeah, let's get into that a little bit about you know, the uniting marketing and sales. I know it's never the most fun topic for, for a lot of marketers. But I think it's particularly interesting with Moz because you sit in both seats. First of all, and second of all, I think SEO folks and a lot of the digital marketers, or you know, whatever we call digitally native marketers, or however we want to talk about it now, similar to developers, a lot of times are not really s- super enthused about talking to salespeople. <laughs> you know, it's not really their thing. And so I'm just curious, like, how do you look at uniting sales and marketing at Moz?
3: So first of all, we are fortunate at Moz in that we do have a very strong self-service portal. So a lot of our business is conducted completely online and marketing drives that revenue. When I think about the uniting sales and marketing, it's been a learning. So I've only been in this role. I've been in the marketing role at Moz for over two years. I just was given um, the sales team to start managing last October. So it is still relatively new for me. One of the biggest things that I did in my steps to unite the teams, because we already worked closely together. And if you had asked me before the team came to me, you know, hey, does marketing and sales get along? I'm like, yeah, yeah, we get along. Are they effective working together? Oh, sure we are. We're very effective. And that was no BS. Like, truly, I'm like, yeah, we did great. I did not realize how much more effective we could be. And one of the biggest things for me as, as a person whose career has been in marketing, I did not have sales experience. I did not have sales leadership experience before taking on that team is that I just listened. So when I first started managing the sales team, I just spent some time listening to them. And trying to really change my hat, right? Okay, I am now sitting down with you as a sales leader who has a lot to learn, not as a marketing leader trying to work with sales. And I talked to them about their processes and their pain points and their celebrations and what they loved and what they didn't love. And then I did the same with my marketing leads, but as a sales leader. Like that, that was actually a tricky thing for me and I have this awesome executive coach who gave me the visual of wearing different hats. And she literally told me if you have to, Christina, go buy yourself two different hats. And when you walk into the room with your sales team, put one hat on. And when you walk in the room with your marketing team as a sales leader, you keep that hat on. If you're walking in as a marketing leader, you switch hats. Well, I didn't actually buy that. I hats. like it. I'm not a hat person. <laughs> It did, like I am a visual person. And so it did help me think about it in that way. And so then when I went to my marketing leads and I talked to them, I talked to them as a sales leader and I tried to hear them as a sales leader would hear them. And I tried to advocate for sales as a sales leader would advocate. And by wearing both those hats for, it probably took me a couple months, I then was able to figure out what the rainbow hat looked like. Like what, what did it look like to be a, a leader of marketing and sales? And so uniting the teams was truly uniting the teams. I have one leads team. It is comprised of my directors of marketing and my director of sales. I have one full team. It is marketing and sales and the entire team, which is you know sizable, meets together as a whole team every month. And that was important to me so that they start understanding we are one united team and then beyond that when you're actually talking the practice of marketing and sales I think the biggest thing I did in uniting them was just so that was sort of the my learning curve and then it was the all right guys drop all the barriers cut the crap we are one team and we're going to be more efficient damn it <laughs> you know there was like the hard talk and just say you all report to one person now there's no divisions so I want to know what are the benefits. Help me see it. I want to see us working better together. I want to see us not arguing about, you know, what's a qualified lead, and what's not a qualified lead, and what the stages are in sales forces, or all those petty arguments you have everywhere. Actually, not petty, incredibly, critical, and yet seemingly non-ending, you know, arguments between marketing and sales. And what was really great is I think because, uh, well, and maybe I'm giving myself too much credit here, but I hope that because I modeled the behavior of I can be a sales leader and I can be a marketing leader. And now I can be both. Maybe that helped my leads come to the table and want to really work differently together because they are doing an amazing job. Like They are being more vulnerable together. And I think you don't typically see that. At least in my career, I haven't typically seen marketing and salespeople willing to be brutally honest and very vulnerable with each other.
2: I love the two hat strategy. That's great. And so many of us are dual hatted anyways. I mean, yeah. you know, especially, you know, folks in the C-suite that have not just within the same role, although yours is extremely, extremely important with the CRO piece, but with, you know, being on boards and all that other stuff, I think a lot of times you you do carry that from day to day. Do you feel like having a CRO with A marketing background is something that you know more companies could try to emulate. Like you know, let's say you have a sales leader, a CRO that's been in sales their entire life. Like, how could you kind of you know carve out some of that person's time to see more of marketing? Because I think that that's kind of the challenge a lot of times, right? Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, it's you know it's tricky because I can only speak from my own experience. I think going from a marketing only role to leading marketing and sales wasn't as challenging for me as it might be for somebody to go from sales to leading sales and marketing. Because in my role of marketing, I have worked side by side with some of the best um, sales leaders like ever. You know, different size companies, different types of companies. And so I've been able to see how they lead their teams, how they manage their teams. But ultimately, they lead one function. It's sales. When you're leaving, leading marketing, you're leading content marketing and email marketing or you're leading all your channels, you're leading customer retention and brand and growth. There are so many different functions throughout marketing that I think it could be challenging to take that on without having some experience in those different functions. And I, I might be very biased because as a marketing leader, I came up through the ranks. So I had the, the great um, opportunity and fortune to work in nearly every multiple, our marketing function before I became a marketing leader. And so it feels like I can lead that team. And I know if we're creating, you know, something very omnichan- channel that is, you know, you know, it has these KPIs and so forth. I know how to size that. I know that it's a six month program, not a three week program, <laughs> right? Because I've had people outside of our team say, well, I don't understand. How come this can't just be done right away? It's like, uh, Because you're asking actually for quite a comprehensive program. But without having that experience in marketing, I think it would be challenging. So I'm not sure it would work the other way around. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, that's a great point. And it really kind of made me think of something that I don't know if this is is true. So kind of spitballing it here. But it did make me think of the fact that the head of sales job is to improve the lives of the frontline salespeople who are kind of like on the line every day. And that's like, you know, what is it? 80% of salespeople fail or something like that, or like end up leaving sales because it's an extremely demanding profession. It's tough. Whereas in marketing, you have kind of almost a reverse thing where it's like the CMO has or the head of marketing has so many different functions that it's like each of their things is more about controlling like coordinating all of these functions rather than like coordinating kind of the personalities that can that can deliver that. I know that it's that's a reductive way of thinking about it, but it really is like such a different, such a different role and such a different like outcome. Because at the end of the day, it's like, you know, as as great as your regional sales managers are, you know, really they're just doing the same thing that the CRO or, you know, or the head of sales is doing is Helping the frontline salespeople, you know what I mean? Like hopping on calls, mm-hmm. doing that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. closing deals. So it's just a completely different type of thing. And I think it's it's important as we, you know, as you kind of tell your story to think about, like, you know, if you are wearing those hats, if other, other people are out there that are doing that, by the way, just shoot us a line at team at marketingtrends.com. But what a complex scenario, potentially.
3: Yeah, I, I think it can be. I do think that we will see more marketing leaders become either chief revenue. I mean, at, at Moz, we actually have a wonderful VP of customer success who owns revenue because she owns some revenue. She owns expansion revenue. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I have a head of sales and not a CRO title. But I think we'll see it you know, more and more often because to me, direct sales is just one more channel. You know, I already convert a lot of revenue from Moz through multiple channels that are online.
2: That's a great point.
3: And so, you know, direct sales is, is, is another channel. It's a different channel. It's a very different channel, but so is, you know, an in-person event versus social media, <laughs> right? So,
2: yeah. So you've spent some time at some, some big companies, some large companies, you know, one of those uh, spending a few years at Amazon, you know, obviously Amazon, you know, in the press obviously all the time, but specifically the things that are changing at Amazon in terms of, you know, the world of business is so unique. Were there any things that like you felt like coming out of that experience were things that CMOs kind of, you don't really know unless you're kind of uh, in the in the machine there that you kind of thought, you know, s- step back and thought like, wow, a lot of CMOs should, should know X, Y, or Z.
3: Mm, I don't know that Amazon, my experience there, like Amazon's a huge company. And I worked on two different teams when I was there. And I don't know that my experience would suggest that it's a great place to hone your skills as a CMO. I think that marketing at Amazon uh, can be really challenging. Yeah. And more than anything, what I think I learned or what I really honed there is my, my analytical rigor. So at Amazon, you are held to a very high standard in your analytics and your ability to support any of your recommendations with data. And sometimes to the extent that it, it becomes really challenging to move fast enough. But I do think that I learned a lot about how to represent my ideas in a stronger, more analytical way while working there. I don't, you know, is that the hallmark of a great CMO. In the tech world, it certainly doesn't hurt. But I think that it's my experience at Amazon is it was very product-led. And marketing was, it was difficult as a marketer to have a voice at the table there. So I don't know that you learn as much about marketing. But I was also not on the consumer side. I was on the B2B side in both the teams. And so I do think that probably on the consumer side, there are likely a lot more opportunity for marketers there.
2: Yeah, no. And that's that's kind of what I was getting at is that a lot of the stuff that I've heard is, is similar to that, right? It's just such a product-driven culture. And so many things are, are that way that it can be tough to stand out as a marketer. But I think you nailed it with the fact that like that analytical mindset is something that is something if you're in a different type of marketing, if you're a brand marketer, perhaps we've got this feedback from a lot of listeners of like, hey, if you're a brand marketer, it's really tough to go the other way. Or if you're a really detailed marketer, it's tough to go to brand mm-hmm. or or whatever, that having that variety of experience. Did you have any campaigns throughout your career that were your particular favorites?
3: Oh, <laughs> oh goodness. Yeah. I mean, we all, we all have our darlings, right? Those ones that we just love. I had a, a campaign I really loved when I was at Yahoo. We were... Breaking into video ads—I know that really dates me—but video ads were relatively new, and Yahoo was just starting to get into them F- fairly soon in the past. Like I know Yahoo has not done fabulous over the years, but we really did. Oh there were just such great people there. I worked with such smart people there, and really creative folks. And I had wanted to do some sort of special direct marketing campaign for a long time, and. I was on the B2B team, Yahoo Advertising Solutions, and we just didn't do direct marketing. Like B2B marketing, there was very much event marketing, sales enablement, email comms, that sort of thing. I just, and I had it in my mind. And so I saved a budget literally month by month. I scraped a little budget here, a little budget there. And I still remember I saved $25,000, which doesn't sound like much, but it was my my little pocket, my little bucket of gold. And I pitched to my boss this idea of launching video ads with a campaign directly to movie studio execs and uh, TV studio execs. This was also before a huge explosion in cable, and we did this kind of fun little, fun little package. We had this killer demo of the product, product video demo sizzle reel produced. And then we, we bought iPods and we had the demo loaded on the iPod and we pre-charged, like there were so many details that went into it, put it in a film canister with all this candy. And we did all this, this kind of heightened play on entertainment and with the tagline. So video ads were super hard to execute in the beginning. And so we had this tagline of, it's as easy as pressing play. And so we, we did all of this so that they could open up these film canisters and, there would be this note that said, just press play. They press play, they see the demo and so forth. And I was so excited about it. And then I got it all ready. And I was recruited by Amazon and I left Yahoo before we did the campaign. Oh no. <laughs> but, so it was like this huge buildup. But I had this young marketing manager I had hired and she was helping me along the way. And she was so creative, 10 times more creative than I was. She's so good. And so she saw it through and the campaign did so well that she won. They did a big marketing award every year and she won the award and got to go to uh con for the ad festival. So yeah, so I felt like even though it started as my campaign, I didn't get to see it through, but really what it was about. So I had fun with the creativity. I wanted to do something fun and different. Really what that was about, it was understanding my customer's pain point. Understanding who the buyer was, understanding that they get hit up so often with so many messages that unless I could do something that was relevant and really got their attention because it was completely outside of anything they ever received before, I was never going to get their attention. And so what it really came down to is a deep understanding of the customer and their pain.
2: That's a great one. That's an, that's an awesome story. Did you, uh, did you feel like when, when it was submitted that you were like going to run on the award stage, uh, you know, if you won and just like, (laughs) like, like photobomb.
3: There was part of me that was like, Oh man. But Oh, I so wanted it to win. And I, you know, yeah, I, I would have loved to have been there just to, to really just to see how it turned out and to learn from it. Learn the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Because even though it succeeded, like I heard it succeeded huge. Like if you can imagine, there were not that many contacts in that campaign. And I heard that the, the ROI was well over 800%. Um, so it was really big, but yeah. But I'm glad for, for the young woman who got to see it through.
2: Okay, let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. About marketing on the world's number one CRM—that is Salesforce. Salesforce.com/marketing to learn more. Lightning round questions. Christina, are you ready? Yeah. Number one. What habit have you picked up
3: in shelter in place? Daily exercise with squats in between meetings. Oh yeah.
2: All right. We do. We try to do the push-up challenge, and uh, I lose a lot <laughs> in the challenge. <laughs> Do you have a favorite TV show, book, podcast that you're, uh, that you're consuming right now?
3: Oh, well, book, I'm reading and listening at the same time too. So you want to talk about race, which is amazing as I educate myself more about Black Lives Matter. And that's, I would highly recommend it for anybody looking to learn more on their journey there. TV show, I don't really. Podcast, oh, anything Tara Brah. She's great for podcasts when you need to really dig into your own self-awareness more. She's doing a great series called Sheltering in Love that is, you know, helping us understand our own responses to the sheltering in place and how to reach out with love.
2: Side note, I did not bring up during the SEO portion that Google is indexing podcasts now, which is a crazy revelation. (laughs) It's huge. And uh, I didn't bring it up. so. I had to bring it up.
3: Search is everywhere.
2: I know, really is. What is your hidden talent or passion?
3: Hidden talent or passion. Oof, that is a good one. I don't think I have any hidden talents. How sad for me. Passion. So I, I am passionate in marketing about, and this, I literally say this, which kind of can drive my team not so little sometimes, but I think you can use marketing for good or evil. Because marketing is incredibly powerful. And as marketers, we must be responsible to understand that power and to truly do our absolute best to use it for good, which means reaching out to the people we think can benefit most from what we have to offer and only reaching out to those we think who can benefit most from what we have to offer.
2: What's your best advice for a first-time CMO?
3: Listen, listen to your team, listen to your CEO, listen to your community, your customers. I think it is hard when we start as leaders. There's so much work to do that we forget to take the time to listen, and it takes time. You have to set time aside for it.
2: What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often?
3: Oh, goodness. I was asked recently that same question, but in relation to, you know, when you're interviewing, Mm. and I said that nobody ever asked me. I got the question a lot when I was interviewing for Moz. Are you a growth marketer? And I kept saying, No, I am not a growth marketer. I am a strategic marketer. And if growth is the goal, absolutely, I will organize my team to drive growth. And I wish just once when interviewing, not that I plan to interview at all anytime soon, but I wish somebody would just ask, like a CEO would say, tell me what marketing is to you. What kind of marketer are you? Instead of just, are you a this and trying to pigeonhole a certain restriction on marketing?
2: That's a great point. I love that. That's awesome. Thank you. Good note. Maybe a Maybe I'll add that into the repertoire, you know, 200 and something episodes in, uh, <laughs> I'll have to, I'll have to switch up. Maybe
3: it, it is a great one. Yeah. Especially this trend, you know, this trend towards everybody has to be a growth marketer. Like really, what if that's not the goal? Because there are other really important goals.
2: Yeah, I know. It's a great point. Um, and I think that you're exactly right that a lot of people, you know, try to put a bunch of qualifications, you know, in a doc and then tick those off when they hire a marketer. Right. So it's a lot easier to just kind of like put a label on it and then, and then do that. And other people are hiring for stage or hiring for whatever. And the person who wants that job wants to, you know, be in that stage or or whatever it is. But yeah, that's a great, it's a great point to let people self-select into it rather than be prescriptive.
3: I think, especially when you're hiring a marketing executive. I don't think you would hire a CEO saying, are you a growth CEO? Because then when your company is past that stage of growth, is your CEO past that stage of her toolkit? And so you you want somebody who's multi-talented. And I think you want the same in your marketing and sales leader.
2: Well, Christina, that's it. That's all we got for today. By the way, I didn't mention this and I meant to. There are so many good SEO tools and resources on Moz.com, including the beginner's guide to SEO which has Maslow's hierarchy of SEO needs, which is just great. <laughs> and we'll link it up in the show notes because it's, it's one of the great infographics of, uh, of our time, of our marketing time. It's super good. And all of your content is really, really good. And as you said, it was the foundation for the company and it continues to be so. So kudos on that. Uh, any final thoughts? Anything, anything to plug?
3: Um, no, just, yeah, we would, we would love to have folks take advantage of all of our free content. It is there to make us all better marketers. So enjoy.
2: Awesome. Thanks again for joining. It was, uh, it was really great having you on.
3: Great. Thank you. I appreciate it.
1: Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com marketing.